crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. other. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And welcome. Hello. To another episode of Criminy. We're your hosts. Matt and Angela. Welcome. Welcome. You've got mail. Happy New Year. Yay, we made it to another year. Oh, that's, boy. Uh, that's a good one. It's a good one. It's not like, I don't know. We treat the New Year like such a, I don't know. It just still feels like I'm just another day. It at is least just this another year. day. <sighs> Except for then you have to remember when you're writing the date to write 21 instead of 20. I think it looks cooler. That's always a challenge. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Starting the year off brain dead. That's great. <laughs> How dare you? No, I was talking about me. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, nothing happening up here right nothing now. going on upstairs. Okay. Oh, literally upstairs. Oh, man. Tell me about your story. Okay, yeah, let's get to it. This is a shit show. Okay. So I got my information from Murderpedia, Boston.com, History.com, Finding Nemo, Dulcinea.com. Okay. Dulcinea. Okay. I don't know what that is, but I got information from there. <laughs> and the Washington Post. All right. Also, I got this idea from Mom. Oh. So she, so, so mom already knows what you're going to say. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to do it because she's like, oh, you should do this story. And I was like, but then you know it. She's like, well, I don't remember the details. And then she's like looking it up. And I was like, no. I was like, I don't remember this part of it. And I was like, mom. And then she's like, well, I still like hearing it from other people. So I'm going to do it anyway. So you're welcome, mom. <laughs> so this story starts out like so many of them do. They were the perfect couple. Carol and Charles Stewart were professionals who lived in the suburbs of Reading, Massachusetts. Okay. Right? Reading. It looks exactly like Reading. I just didn't know if it was pronounced Reading. <laughs> anyway. I hate words. They're so hard to Words pronounce. are hard and it's getting harder. Oh, that's why, if you've noticed, I um, usually call the people that I'm talking about in my stories by their first names. I usually do. Because it's... First names are a bit easier most yeah. of the time. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Plus, Plus that's how you know the person. Yeah. Well, like if someone yeah. was talking about me at like in the you know in the past tense and they were using my last name, I'd yeah. be like, that's not my name. I don't right. go by that. I don't identify. I always think it's weird when that. people have like yeah the nickname with like their last name and I'm like it's usually a sports thing. It I think. is. I think it is because <laughs> they have it on the back of their shirts. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, lately especially too, I've not been able to like think of words. It's okay. I think my brain is just dying <laughs> and I'm totally scared because of house, but it's okay. I'm getting through it. So both were born and raised in the Boston suburbs mm -hmm. and they met in 1980 at a restaurant called the Old Driftwood and <laughs> she was a server and he was a cook and her oh. father 
tended bar. Okay, so it was a family affair. His name affair. is Giusto. 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 G i u s t o d mighty. Mighty. I'm pronouncing it like it's Italian. I know. I'm guessing it's Italian. <laughs> Giusto. I mean, you're looking to me like I know. I know. How I to always pronounce do. <laughs> I always do. I don't know why. I'm pretty sure I always all, do. every episode we've completely butchered someone's name or some word or a, or a, place, a place or all of the above. We're terribly sorry. <laughs> okay. So, they they met in 1980. They got married five years later. Friends said that they used to talk on the phone three or four times a day. Neighbors said that they kissed in the driveway before leaving for work. And then when they got home from work, they also said that they were friendly. They would jog together, took care of the flowers in their front yard. Charles coached Little League baseball and helped neighbors shovel snow. Okay, so. I mean, I just feel like talking on the phone three or four times a day is a little excessive but well but how long had they been together by that well time? i don't know how long I, mean, I, feel, together. I feel like that's something that's like they met in 1980 and got married five years later and how old were they when they met want to do some math young okay well then that's i would say that's normal for young like people probably to early like 20s want to like do that like obsessively call and talk and i think it's common when you're first starting to date I'm just not like romantic. Oh no, I don't like it. It's too much. It's like it's totally normal, especially in your like teens and twenties, to like think that you need that constant contact. Well, and it's like the '80s, so they're calling on like house phones, right? Or like paging one of them and be like, "Call me now." Like, oh, I'm at the office now. Just wanted to let you know in case you tried to call. Oh, I'm like at this restaurant now. Just wanted to let you know in case you're trying to get through. That episode of Frasier when he's calling. It's like, hi, I didn't know if you tried to call in the office. I'm not at the office now. I, I stepped out. <laughs> Did you try and call now? Oh, also, I realized our last episode, we missed a Frasier reference when oh. I said something about a hatchback. <laughs> no, I was like, I think something it's called a called hunchback. hunchback. <laughs> I think it's called a hatchback. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Super friendly, just like the cutest couple. Did everything together. Loved each other. Uh, Charles was the oldest of six children from a working class family in the blue collar town of Revere. He was popular and athletic. Uh, he claimed to have won a football scholarship to Brown University. Uh, okay. However, Brown University doesn't award football scholarships. So. Hmm. Mm. And then he claimed that when he went to Brown on the scholarship that he injured his knee and then he had to transfer to Salem State. Oh, what? Uh, but there's like proof of him going to Salem State. Yeah, that's <laughs> where he went. going to Brown, yeah. Right. So his career uh, in business flourished at Kaka's first. What did you just Kaka's? say to me? Kaka's Furs. K-A-K-A-S. Kaka's? Kaka's. Furs. Furs? Like animal like, fur? Yeah, gross. Kaka's Furs. Kaka's Furs. What does that mean? I what is it? Do? What do they sell? The this? Furs. <laughs> oh, that's probably someone's last name or something. Probably. <laughs> Still, you choose a different name. It's probably like Kakis or something, right? Kakis Furs. Kakis. Kaka's Furs. 
Because there sounds like poop stuck in your yeah. fur. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's this bakery. <laughs> there's this bakery in Northern California in a coffee shop, and it's called Shots, but it's spelled like Shats. <laughs> but you pronounce it Shots. So I'm pretty sure this is probably like Cacas. 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 Cacas first. I don't know. Anyway. So it was like a posh shop, and he became the general manager. Of Kaka's first. And a confidant of the Kaka's family. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh Carol was the younger of two children. She was really devoted to her family, and her family lived in suburban Medford. Her father was said to carry her report cards around in his wallet and friends say that she would call home every night even on her honeymoon whoa that's a little much so she's probably she's the like one a phoning talker. him yeah, all the time she's probably like okay, a talker yeah. <laughs> uh, she attended boston college and then graduated cum laude from suffolk law school oh. and then she was taking classes at boston university to become a cpa okay So, Carol and Charles had been married for four years. Uh (laughs) Sorry, I just... Okay, sorry. Okay, sorry. Okay, so they just came home from a weekend in Connecticut where they celebrated their fourth anniversary. And Carol said that she had, like, a wonderful time. And they were expecting their first child in December. So, she's, like, super pregnant. Stuart's brother, Mark, told The Globe... Carol saved the strip from the pregnancy test she had when she found out she was pregnant. She showed it to us back then. So she sounds like a really sentimental person. Yeah. Also, ew. Yeah. <laughs> you that. peed on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think it's so weird if you like gift someone like the stick and they have to like pull it. You it's can like, just you... say like, yeah, I'm pregnant. Don't fucking show me your pee There's stick. There's urine on there. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Carol and Charles Stewart left Lamaze class at Brigham's Brigham and Women's Hospital mm. at about 8.30 mm. on the night of October 23rd. She pulled up to a stoplight at the corner of Huntington Avenue and Francis Street, which is a busy intersection in Mission Hill. Mission Hill is like an inner city community that is like really diverse. It has a well-known hospitals, and it's got, like, the best art museums, and it also has a large, low-income housing project. Uh-huh. So, depending on who you ask, it's, like, kind of a sketchy neighborhood. Okay. Uh, as they sat at a light, a black man wearing a black sweatsuit with a red stripe and gloves, like the like the black gloves without the fingertips. Fingerless gloves. <laughs> yeah, well, it says open knuckle gloves, so maybe oh, it's just like the they open have knuckles. The whole, yeah, knuckle yeah, holes. What are those for? For your knuckles to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> don't they get cold? No, I don't. I, I really... mean, it's October in like Massachusetts. You'd think you'd want knuckle covers. You'd think so. But I'd want knuckle covers. I mean, maybe covers. he's got sweaty knuckles. Maybe. Ew. <laughs> Do you even have sweat glands in your knuckles? I don't, he might. Okay, so he had open knuckle gloves. Okay. I don't know why. And then a baseball cap. He jumped into the back seat of their 1987 Toyota Cressida, pulled out a silver snub-nosed pistol, uh-huh. and demanded in a raspy sing-song voice that Charles Stewart drive to an isolated corner beyond the project. 
There, the assailant, who was said to be 5 feet 10 inches tall, weighing about 160 pounds, took Carol Stewart's Gucci bag, her rings, $100, and the car keys. He asked for Chuck's wallet, and when Stewart could not produce one, the man became suspicious. Tipped off, perhaps, by the car phone. Oh, car phone and thinking that Stewart's wallet contained the badge of an undercover cop he said I think you're 5-0 and opened fire Uh-oh. Carol was hit first in the back of the head her husband ducked but nonetheless suffered a stomach wound that nearly killed him Shit. then the assailant left on foot Charles called 911 on his cell phone I guess they did have cell phones yeah I mean they were like the, the huge big, bulky like, ones and yeah. a car phone wow <laughs> living it up <laughs> so he got a dispatcher named gary mclaughlin for 13 minutes he was on the phone with gary and massachusetts state police dispatcher mclaughlin he was pleading with charles to get some kind of like street name or some kind of reference point to try and like direct the police to to find their car for 13 minutes what he's on the phone Charles told McLaughlin he and his wife had been shot and that he didn't know where they were. He claimed that the assailant had stolen his keys, but that he would start the car with a spare set and then drive around in hopes of spotting a landmark. What? Oh, that's kind of weird. Uh-huh. After turning onto St. Alphonsus Street near the Mission Hill Project, Charles apparently blacked out, yet McLaughlin was able to direct police to the car by having them turn their sirens on and off to gauge which cruiser was closest. So they kept turning their sirens on, and he'd be like, okay, I hear a siren, I guess. I don't know. Also, during this time, a film crew for CBS's Rescue 911 had been shooting at the Boston Emergency Medical Services. They got the whole thing on camera. I remember that show. That show was awesome. Yes. What was it? It was like... Kind of like cop style, but it was like like you go like with the ambulances EMS. and stuff. Yeah. Oh. Rescue nine one one, and then they they like go into the hospital, like bring people into the hospitals That's and stuff. That's so intense. On like stretchers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god. No, I don't remember that. Oh. That was before my time. <laughs> Damn. <you. laughs> so officers eventually found Charles and Carol's blood-soaked car near the inter- intersection of Saint Alphonsus Street and. Horridan way. So while he's on the phone, this is some of what he's saying since they caught it all. He said, she's still gurgling. There's a busy street up ahead. Oh, man, I can't see where I am. And then McLaughlin said, bear, hang in with me, Chuck. Just try to give me any indication of where you might be. Hospitals, if you see a building. And they said, oh, I'm driving with my lights off. I can't reach (laughs) forward. It's too painful. Oh. And then he said, just tell me what the what the street is, Chuck. And he said, ah, oh, man, I'm pulling over. Tremont Street. You're at Tremont? Oh, man, I'm going to pass out. It hurts. And my wife has stopped gurgling. She stopped breathing. Mm-mm. So they both had been shot. Charles had a serious wound in his stomach. And like I said, Carol was shot in the head and was barely hanging on. As Charles was strapped on a gurney and taken inside the ambulance on the way to the Boston City Hospital, he began to tell them the story about the black man in the tracksuit. A policeman asked him, who did it? Was he a white guy? And Charles said he was a black man. 
Okay. Then Charles was taken to Boston City Hospital, where a surgical team worked for six hours to save his life. Carol was rushed back to Brigham and Women's, where they had just taken their Lamaze class. They delivered her son, Christopher, two months early. Wow. At 3 a.m. on October 24th, 1989, Carol died at the same hospital where she had been just hours earlier. Oh, my God. She was 30 years old. Shit. So young. Oh, my God. On October 28th, Carol was buried in Medford. More than 800 people, including... Wait, did the, the kids survive? We'll get to that. Oh. Including Boston Mayor Ray Flynn, Governor Michael Dukakis, and Cardinal Bernard Law attended her funeral. Charles was still at the hospital, and so he wasn't able to attend, but he did write a eulogy, and it was read aloud by one of Carol's friends, I think. It said, Good night, sweet life, wife. Oh my God. My love, God has called you to his hands, not to take you away from me or the happiness and gladness you brought me, but to bring you away from the cruelty and the violence that fills this world. He said that for us to truly believe, we must know that his will was done and that there was some right in the meanest of acts. In our souls, we must forgive this sinner because he would too. My life will be more empty without you, as will the lives of your family and friends. You have brought joy and kindness to every life you've touched. Now you sleep away from me. I will never again know the feeling of your hand in mine, but I will always feel you. I miss you and I love you. Your husband, Chuck. Mm, I don't know about that. Anything stand out to you? I mean, he's talking about himself a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. And, and the like forgiven mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know mm-hmm. i don't know it's too soon it's too soon yeah it's kind of weird so on november 9th after suffering a series of seizures christopher stewart the baby died two and a half weeks after being delivered oh. charles stewart authorized the discontinuation of life support and he died of respiratory failure at 17 days old hmm. The shock of the killing led to an immediate furious reaction in and around Boston. Mayor Flynn vowed to find the shooter and ordered Boston Police Commissioner Francis Roche to send every available officer into Mission Hill. So two days after the murder, investigators were building a profile of the man that they thought was responsible. Mm-hmm. Investigators say that they are convinced that the gunman either lives in or routinely commits crime around the Mission Hill housing project. Some police sources believe the assailant probably has committed several similar robberies by jumping into stopped cars at intersections. Mm. Lawmakers wasted no time demanding Massachusetts reinstate the death penalty. Okay. There's a huge reaction. Police started cracking down in the neighborhoods and politicians vowed to bring vengeance back to the justice system. First responders who worked to save Charles' life praised his concern for his wife's well-being. More than 100 additional officers were assigned to scour Mission Hill, Roxbury, and Mattapan, searching for anyone who fit the vague description Stewart gave of his attacker. But they know that his knuckles will be exposed. His knuckles were, I mean, if you could identify (laughs) those knuckles, man. He was black. I think that's the thing, that 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 added detail is so unnecessary 
Well, like, like, he's, like, sitting in the backseat, too. It doesn't make sense. And it's nighttime. Yeah. How are you going to see the knuckles? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just, like, an ad. Like, that just it's makes me weird. suspicious of him. It's weird. So this is what they knew. He was black. He had a raspy voice. He was wearing a black tracksuit with red stripes. He tried to rob them, said, you're 5-0 to Stuart. And then he thought Charles was a cop. And then he left. So the Boston police began to comb the housing projects in Mission Hill. Community leaders estimated that from October 24th through the 28th, there were upwards of 150 stop and frisk searches in their neighborhood every day. Oh, jeez. Black men throughout the city complained of public strip searches. What the fuck? And repeated interrogations. Fucked up. One man who was a clerk at an expensive hotel said i got stopped three times one night just walking from here to my apartment <sighs> we were all suspects Ugh. they were actively investigating a variety of black suspects and felt so sure of their progress that within a week of the shooting police superintendent joseph v saya was said the list of suspects had narrowed down to just a few so this response was like so intense The first of those men was never identified publicly because his attorney was able to convince prosecutors that the case against him was super weak. The second, Alan Swanson, was arrested on October 29th after police found him living in a supposedly abandoned apartment and soaking a black sweatsuit, although it had white stripes in the sink. Swanson was arrested for burglary for simply being in the apartment And well, because it was like he um, was an unsheltered person and he had like broken into this abandoned apartment to live. Abandoned. Yeah. So he was like living there. And so he was arrested for burglary just Mm. because he was there. And then he was immediately identified in the media as the prime suspect. Wow. The burglary charges were later reduced to trespassing a misdemeanor. But Swanson was acquitted of that eventually, too. Good. Because why the fuck? So the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office then brought a second charge against Swanson, accusing him of robbery. And at that trial, Swanson's accuser said police had pressured him into bringing the charges. The case was dismissed and Swanson was finally released on November 20th. Then police focused on a new suspect. So they put this guy through hell Mm -hmm. because he had nowhere to live and he was washing his clothes. And he was black. And he was a black man. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. Fucking so, assholes. Then police focus on William Willie Bennett, who was 39. He was arrested after his nephew jokingly bragged that he was responsible. Idiot. Yeah. But it could have been something as benign as, like, I mean, I, I mean, don't joke about, like, murder yeah. or whatever, but I don't know. Especially anyway. when cops are, like, fucking frisking and stripping Strip people searching down. searching people. Like, and harassing so them. gross. So, Bennett was roughly the right age and height. He had a raspy voice, and he served two sentences for altercations involving policemen and gunplay. Did he have a pension for knuckle-free gloves? For free knuckles. (laughs) The first occurred in 1973 when he shot an officer in the leg. The second took place in 1981 when he pointed a shotgun at a cop removed the man's service revolver and used it to shoot out one of the tires of his police cruiser. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of... Dude's feisty. Yeah. (laughs) 
officers attempted to arrest, arrest Bennett for that offense, they found him crouching in the living room of his home, gripping a 357 Magnum. He shouted, you're not going to take me alive before a quick shooting off oh, before a quick shooting officer wounded him in the hand, forcing him to drop the gun, which at least they're not shooting to kill back then. I mean, I unless know, he just missed. Could be. Yeah, really could be. <laughs> Bennett was arrested on November 11th for a motor vehicle violation and was subsequently charged with a video store robbery in Brookline. He was identified immediately in the media as the chief suspect in the Stewart murder case. Again. This is a new a new. Crime. No, I know. But, like, but yeah, again, again immediately. Again, they're like, oh, we, the this, no, this wants, is the real one. Yeah. This is it. This yeah, is it the media time. just wants to find that black guy with the raspy voice in the tracksuit. They just like, don't even give a fuck. <laughs> So several witnesses testified against Bennett before a specially convened grand jury. One person claimed to have seen him carrying a gun and jewelry in the area where the shooting took place on the night of October 23rd. Just like carrying jewelry? Yeah. And a gun just, just out in the open. Just like, oh, I've got like a, so many things to carry. I've got yeah. Like, I'm just holding it like a baby, like all these guns and jewels falling from my arms. Yeah. I mean, they took like rings, you know, so like how <laughs> well, hard is it to conceal yeah, rings? Yeah, what the fuck? I don't know. You like put, the, put it in your pocket. But anyway, uh-huh. another said that Bennett admitted to the shooting, saying Charles Stewart owed him money for drugs. Uh-huh. Several teen witnesses testified they learned of Bennett's involvement through his nephew. Um, but, and on October, I mean, sorry, on December 28th, Stewart reportedly had a strong physical reaction when shown Bennett in a police lineup. So I read that they, I read a couple articles that said that he point, he picked him out out of like a photo lineup, Mm -hmm. but that Bennett was like all over the media at Mm, that point before they brought him in. So he could have, yeah, he could have already like seen him and then another another paper article newspaper article said that he picked him out of a lineup but the rest of the people in the lineup were clean-cut boston police officers what (laughs) so it's like i'll pick the one guy who's like not clean cut okay they're probably like white guys too no (laughs) (laughs) so while the search was on for this mysterious black man Charles was showing unusual interest in a young female co-worker, mm-hmm. asking that she call him at the hospital where he was recovering. Uh. Uh, detectives were so fixated on finding this, like, black man uh-huh. that Charles described that few even questioned his account of events or, like, what was going on. Yeah, why would this clean-cut city boy Yeah, wealthy like, well, yeah, dude, like... Not, yeah, who's... Not from around here. Just took his wife to a Lamaze class. Yeah. Like why? What? No, yeah. Course, no, it's this boogeyman. It's that he just described. this like white guy, this like affluent white guy driving through a bad neighborhood, uh-huh. and some black guy just jumps in his car uh-huh. and like kills his wife. So yeah. Happens, why? Uh, you know, all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's usually uh, not the case. So, um, there were a lot of inconsistencies in Charles' story, and then there were also uh-huh. like suspicious details. Like, the police didn't really understand why the assailant would shoot a woman before shooting a man. Right. Take because out you'd the, think that the guy could, the, like... With more... Uh, 
muscles. The person who seems like they're like the physically, threat. yeah, physically yeah. stronger. Also, if he thought that Charles was the and police, she's pregnant, right? If she, if he thought like Charles was the police officer, like shoot Why would that you, yeah. guy first, yeah, and then deal with like yeah, a super pregnant, seven month pregnant woman. Yeah. She's gonna be pretty large at that point. Yeah. So uh-huh. that one was like kind of weird. And then Stuart refused to identify the street signs. Right. And he's like, he's like, my wife's, he did it like just enough time for her to like die. 13 like, minutes yeah, of just like, oh, I can't around. see the street can, signs. I like, can't reach. Jump you can, out of the car. If you can reach car, the steering wheel, yeah. you can reach well, the lights. Well, I'll drive around. Also, if they're driving at night anyway, you think the lights would already be on. Yeah. Why, who's going to like... Tr- Anyway, so then that one, and then he would, he like wouldn't call out to like anyone on the street to be like, hey, where are we? Or he didn't return to the hospital. Right. You just came from the hospital. Yeah. Why wouldn't literally you just turn back? around and That's go a back? Good point. Yeah. So that was like weird too. And then the other thing that they thought was weird was that he never spoke his wife's name mm. or tried to comfort her. And that felt weird. Yep. So the police also didn't bother to find all the evidence that Charles was unhappy in his marriage and particularly upset with his wife for being pregnant and not having an abortion. Uh-oh. So he feels trapped. He can't go play uh-huh. with his girlfriend. His The younger girl that he's interested in. Mm-hmm. Charles had discussed both his obsession with the co-worker and his desire to see his wife dead with several friends and family members in the months before the murder. Uh, I just want to say, like, he and the co-worker did not have a relationship, but he was, she like, obsessed it. with her. Mm. And she was much younger. Yucky. Yeah. So, Charles first raised the possibility of killing his wife with a drinking buddy more than a month before the shooting. What? He also reported to have asked a family member at roughly the same time to help him kill Carol. Okay. And when that didn't work, he decided to kill her himself. But it's like... So he's basically spoken to everyone that he knows being like... Hey, can you take care of this problem? No? Okay, I'll just go to the next person. Yeah, I feel like you can't just be like, oh, I was drunk and it was a joke. Like, if you're asking people to, like, help you kill your wife. No, that's not a joke. Why is no one saying anything? What the fuck? Why doesn't anyone say anything? So then, but the thing, the thing that police were kind of like, oh, I don't know, is that his wound was actually pretty severe. He, the bullet damaged his liver, urological tract, bowels, and major blood vessels. And he lost his gallbladder because of it. So the damage required two extensive operations. And he was in intensive care for five weeks. So they were like, I think that he made an oopsies. Yeah. <laughs> you don't shoot yourself in the gut. That's why, like, your important shit's happening. But I guess it a leg like, or an arm I was just thinking, obvious. like, well, yeah, because you want it. You have to make it look bad. Like, but then like how's the you guy going to get you out? in the gut? You know? He's, like, in the backseat. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know what it is. It's the knuckleless it? gloves. It gives your hand better reach. Uh-huh. So you can reach around and then better around. dexterity. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what really it Free is. Free the knuckle. Free the knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe it. I mean, him. it is pretty intense to shoot yourself in the right, gut. But then, right, but then what are you going to, okay, you shoot yourself in the arm. That's like. Obvious. Eh, yeah. Yeah. You shoot yourself in the leg. I mean, I don't know. 
Well, unless you could, unless you could be like, oh, well, I like turned around back and like grabbed the gun. And then he shot me. And then it went off. But, but then if you're the gun. And then he got scared and ran. No, because if you're the gunman and you've like shot this woman in the head. Right. You're going to want to. Well, I mean, for him, you know, it was a good call because they didn't suspect him for a while. Right. Right. So it looks more believable. Yeah, but, yeah, it's risky, too. (sighs) So, on January 3rd, 1990, Charles Stewart, who the um, media, they were calling him, like, gallant and a hero Mm. and, like, all these wonderful things. Well, he jumped from the lower deck of the Tobin Bridge and fell 145 feet to his death. Holy shit. Well, he had a guilty conscience. He killed himself. Well, was it that or was it... He thought he wasn't going to get away with it? So, he left a note behind, though it included no admission of guilt, of course. Mm -hmm. But prosecutors were hours away from arresting him because his own brother came forward and told police that that Charles was responsible. So, it wasn't guilt. He just didn't get away with it. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. So his brother, Matthew, he's 23 years old. He told police that he knew Charles was up to something, but he didn't know that he was going to kill Carol. He and Charles had cooperated previously. And Even though he's been like, hey, you uh, want to kill my wife? Or, uh... Well, he he and Charles were involved in various like insurance scams uh. at the fur company. Selling caca fur? Yeah, on the caca DL? fur. And also in their own homes. Uh, so... They were already like scamming together, so it's like not that far of a okay far of an ask for Charles to be like, hey, uh, if you like, let's stage a robbery. So originally they were like gonna stage a robbery at at the home. Oh, he was gonna have like Matthew like break in mm-hmm. and like steal some stuff, and then that was apparently Charles was gonna kill Carol then. To make it look like she walked in on a robbery. Right. So, like, Matthew didn't know. He just knew that he was supposed to go in and, like, steal stuff. So, like, like report it stolen and get, uh-huh. like, the insurance money. And then Charles was going to use that opportunity. But then, I guess, they came home early that night. And then Matthew had to hide in the bathroom so that Char- so that Carol wouldn't see him. And then Charles, I guess, changed his mind. So, he's like, never mind. We're not going to do the robbery today. So, Huh. Do you think out. he had, like second thoughts or do you think it was something came up well i think maybe because they yeah i don't know i think i think i don't think it was like guilt or whatever i think it was just because the plan had changed so he was like i can't it's gonna be more obvious if like Hmm. if it's like earlier in the day maybe because then they could see matthew leaving or something i don't know what it was but i don't think i don't think it was like guilt just like rethought the plan i think he was just like i can't get away with it if we do it now we're just gonna change the plan because the he just seems like a real asshole so, well, yeah, because it makes more sense. Bring her to an area where, you know, there's you know, undesirables, quote mm-hmm. unquote, for that he could blame it on. Right. The you know, the ever present ev- boogeyman, black that, man, yeah, <laughs> that just like lurks around the corners. He's so just he waiting could, to kill white it's people. It's easier to blame it in that area yeah. rather than be like oh, some well, random person wonder, came into my neighborhood and. I wonder if it was on their way home. I mean, it must have been on their way home. They must have had to drive through Mission Hill or something like. I don't know. But I guess they, they like, rehearsed this robbery murder. So Matthew said that he and his brother took a dry run 
the night before Carol was murdered, and Matthew claims that Charles led him to a secluded spot and instructed him when to be there. He also told Matthew to leave his car window rolled down. The next night, Charles pulled up beside Matthew's car and tossed through the window a bag that Matthew thought would contain the receipts of a robbery of Kaka's furs. <laughs> they keep Caucus. receipts? Kaka's furs. Yeah, I don't really understand. But he just thought it was like a way to cover up their okay. past, like, oh, like he made receipts, like, oh, look, they're le- we we bought them, they're legit. And he just like maybe yeah, maybe made some fake receipts, it's like or like stages something. I don't really understand how insurance fraud works, but <laughs> we'll figure it out one of these one days. One of these days. <laughs> so Matthew. Matthew said that that night that he threw the bag into his car, he couldn't tell if his if Carol was in the car when they transferred the money. What do you mean he, what do you mean he couldn't tell? Well, I think it's just like really dark maybe. He just rolled the window down he's a just slit like, and yeah. just like here's the money. And I think he like left it all the way down and then he just like drives by and like chucks <laughs> it in the window. I don't know or maybe he like parked it and like ran out. Huh. Okay. He could have like shot her, driven to the spot, given him the bag through the window, got back in the car, shot himself, hmm. or like drove somewhere else and then yeah. shot himself. So Matthew then drove home, and he opened the bag and he found Carol's Gucci bag, or handbag or whatever, some jewelry, her engagement ring, and a snub nose thirty-eight caliber pistol. Then he and a friend threw the purse and the gun off a low railroad crossing called the Dizzy Bridge on the Pines River. So they disposed of the evidence. Okay. Matthew was one of the pallbearers at Carol's funeral. Yikes. After which he disappeared on a six-week trip to California. Uh, A close friend said that he seemed depressed on his return, particularly when drinking. And when Matthew contacted the authorities... He brought Carol's engagement ring with him. Oh, so he, like, held he on to the ring. Uh oh. Matthew said that he finally came forward when he realized that Charles had had said that Bennett had committed the crime because he uh, didn't want another man to be charged for the murder. Yeah. Like, it's, like Which, we're going to get away with it and no one's going to be charged. I'm in with you. But if you're going to, yeah, that's fucked up. I mean, both ways are fucked up. But. Yeah, both ways are fucked up, but at least he had, like, a heart and didn't want someone else because, I mean, with that, like, that was good for Charles, like, open shut, you know, mm-hmm. you found the guy, whatever, who cares if this other man is, like, rotting in prison, you know, but then luckily the brother was like, no, that's not cool. Yeah. So, in 1991, Matthew was found guilty of obstruction of justice and insurance fraud, Uh-oh. and the friend who helped dispose of the evidence was also convicted on obstruction charges. In September of 2011, Matthew Stewart died from a drug overdose in a Cambridge homeless shelter. So I think he was, like, pretty affected by this whole situation. Mm. So Matthew, like I said, thought that he was helping Charles with an insurance scam when he grabbed the bag from the murder scene. And in the days that followed, news surfaced that Charles had received life insurance payouts of around $82,000. Charles took some of that money and bought a new car, which he promptly abandoned on the Tobin Bridge when he killed himself. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Forgot about that part. And then accounts differed on whether there were more life insurance policies and when they were taken out and all of that. 
basically right before he jumped, his brother went to the police and he they also they also said that like right before he jumped, he went into a jewelry store and was buying jewelry for like a secret girlfriend. What? Um and I guess apparently two at least two of his other siblings were in on the details of the murder before the public knew. He found out that Matthew was going to turn him in, and then that's when he immediately fled and then killed himself. Coward. But I guess on January 3rd, before his brother went to the police, Charles confessed to his lawyer. And then that night, he checked into a hotel, woke up at 4.30 a.m., and went down to the Tobin Bridge and jumped. He was 29 years old. Whoa. Yeah. Dude, what? Yeah. I mean, come on, buddy. What's the plan? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, like, not a good guy already. He's, like, scamming his business where he's, like, a confidant and, like, has a managerial position, albeit at a fur store, which, gross. But (laughs) he's already, like, has a good job, you know? And then he has, like, he just gets pissed because his wife gets pregnant. And now if he wants because to divorce her. Because he probably her, was planning on divorcing or like. Or having girlfriends have, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, there's a kid. That means I'm going to have there. She's going to expect me to do more responsible things. Well, also, like if they get a divorce, then he's like got to pay child support. And right. they're going to go into his finances, too. And maybe find out that some of that money is like not adding uh, up. I mean, who knows why a sociopath does what they do, but. To self-preserve. Yeah. So this is. This is, like, historically one of... It's just, like, I didn't realize, but I guess Boston is, like, very racist. Like, very, very racist. And this was just, like, another thing that, like, as soon as this, like, affluent white couple is murdered in, like, this housing project area uh-huh. by a mysterious black man, yeah. the police and the mayor and, and the governor and everyone were so quick to just, like, jump on board and turn this neighborhood upside down uh-huh. and strip search people... And I guess when Willie Bennett was released after witnesses told the grand jury that the police had pressured them into identifying him, like his life was turned upside down because the police were just like, we have to find this like mysterious black guy. And they're like pressuring everyone to like come forward. And then people are pointing their fingers at him. It's not just like, oh, you know, you know, just a mistaken identity. People are like, no, that's the guy. Well, unless it's like police being like, well, did you see Willie? Like. Right. And well, I'm obviously like, like it's yeah. coerced. Like I'm not right. saying that they actually saw him, but like to have to have other people point their finger at you and accuse you of something you know you didn't do, and they're like swearing that oh nope I saw yeah. him. Yeah. Well, that's fucked up. Yeah. So Roxbury community activist Sadiki Kambon told the Boston Globe. Race is the primary issue in this situation, as the mayor and Boston police with racist attitudes reacted emotionally to the report that a white female had been murdered by an African male. So in September of 1990, less than a year after the murder of Carol and Christopher, Boston Celtics star... Celtics? Celtics. I think it depends on who you're talking to. Okay. Either way. What do you choose? You pick whatever one you like. (laughs) D. Brown and his fiance were pulled over by Wellesley police with guns drawn. Officers ordered the pair to lie face down on the street. Brown, they said, matched the description of a man who had robbed a local bank earlier in the week. 
but the description was of a six foot two light skinned black man and brown was like around six foot two but was did not have light skin so he didn't really fit so they pull this like man and his fiance out of the car at gunpoint so fucked up when not he's like, like can i see your id or not like, the guy yeah i mean just yeah the, so ugh. that's just like another example of how boston just like fucked over people who have I mean, darker skin. i'm gonna venture to say it's a lot of <laughs> this country yeah unfortunately but i just didn't realize that like i didn't realize how bad boston was but in 1995, Willie Bennett sued the Boston Police Department, accusing them of violating his civil rights, which, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in April 2000, Bennett told the Boston Globe that the Stewart case still haunts him. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that he is traumatized. I'm sure he has PTSD. From... He said, I don't trust anybody. I barely trust myself. The police falsely pinned a crime on me once, and they'll do it again. Yeah. I have no faith in the law enforcement, and I don't like cops. Nothing has changed. You still have those same racist cops on the police force. Yep. Yep. Doing shoddy police work. Still to this day. In 2003, an after-school program in Boston's Metro West suburbs put a black kindergarten student, kindergarten student, on a bus destined for Dorchester, which is an inner-city neighborhood in Boston. The child didn't live in Dorchester, and then was returned home eventually after his after a parent saw him get what, off the bus what, with no one to pick him up. What is happening? Where did they get this child? Well, I think that it was probably like he, he so he was in the suburbs, so maybe he like took the bus home. A I don't know. Five year old child I, yeah, just took the bus know. by himself. I don't know. They put him on this bus, and they were like, "Oh, you must live in this inner city neighborhood." When he like didn't, because oh, he was like a, a little black kid. I don't know. He's probably like playing out front of his house. Yeah, who knows? And they were like, "Oh, and, like, you, you don't, don't belong, belong in here. this neighborhood." We put you on the bus. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, and then in 2009, a Cambridge police officer arrested Henry Louis Gates. And charged him with disorderly conduct. A 911 call alerted police to a break-in at the Harvard professor's home. Turns out the would-be thieves were Gates and his driver struggling to open a jammed front door. Uh, what? Because they don't look like they belonged in that neighborhood. Holy he was shit. a Harvard professor. Just trying to get in his door. Just trying to get into his house. And they called the police and he was arrested. Not like, oh, do you live here? Like, let's yeah, like, check out. Yeah, what are you doing here? Is this yeah. your residence? Do you know the yeah. person that lives? Oh, you're just a black uh-huh. man trying to open a door in an affluent neighborhood. 2009. Ew. Go fuck yourselves, police. In 2012, Deadspin ranked the most racist cities in America. Boston came in at number two. Wow. After Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's very, very white out there. In 2012, like, Birmingham, Alabama is the only city that beat Boston. Boston. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I didn't realize it was at that. That racist. I mean, I realized they're, yeah, but I, yeah, wow. So clearly there's still, like, racism happening. In May 2014, the... N-word was trending on Twitter what? in Boston. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. And there was widespread report of as many as 17,000 racist tweets directed at Black Montreal Canadians star 
P.K. Subban. What? What is happening? Anyway, Boston was like tweeting all kinds of racist shit. So, uh, Boston. Get it together, people. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? And it's just like, I don't know, after this whole, it just really showed like this, this like neighborhood and then just like Boston in general that once again, black lives don't matter. If a white guy says that you did it, then they're going to turn the whole fucking city upside down. Yeah, they don't even need they're actual gonna evidence. They're going to strip search you. Gonna... They're going to like do whatever they can. They're going to coerce people to accuse somebody. So they're going to arrest somebody. They're not going to do like a real investigation. Right. And they're still doing sh- crazy shit. Still. Right. So. The toss salad and the scrambled egg. The toss salad, a scrambled egg. The toss salad. The toss salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a toss salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the toss salad has more components. The person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. Uh, Once again, the police force is a fucking tossed salad. Well, and like Charles, I think is just such Charles a sociopath sociopath. for sure him being like oh we must forgive like that's the thing that stood out to me the most too is just like oh we've got to forgive the person now's the time we'll forgive him and we won't hold anything against him no one should yeah we shouldn't because you know god forgave him I mean that's not something for a eulogy that's not something for like any like no first of all no also like the people who do forgive people who like kill their loved ones that's amazing and i feel like a lot of times it takes years Years. yeah not just the next day not just like oh someone made a mistake and killed my wife and unborn child we'll forgive him don't worry and also it was all like i'm gonna feel this way and i feel this and i think this well and like i just feel like I just feel like when his baby, like, was on life support and he just got to go and take him off life support, like, think about him being like, oh, thank God, like, I lucked yeah. out or else I would have been, like, stuck with this baby. Like, I don't know why he let it go so long. She was seven months along. Like, that baby could have survived, you know? Two months is, like, a long, a long I mean, time. wouldn't but... that have been something if the baby survived and then he has to take care of a baby? But then he's, he like, but then he's it? more, no, because I think he's more, like, sympathetic. You know, he's, like, a single dad whose mm. wife was murdered and what a tragic story for him. Oh, uh, and... that'll attract the young women. Yeah, yeah. Oh think of how, like, yeah, wonderful true. he is. He, like, drove around Ew. with his wife dying in the car. Like, Being what? like, I don't know where how I am, even though I got into are. this neighborhood. I drove through here. So obviously I drove like the other How way. How hard is it to yell out the window like what street is this? You know? Like what the fuck? But it might be the nude knuckle man. But let me like drive around in the dark with no lights on for 13 13- Okay, 13 <laughs> minutes is a long time. If yeah. you sit and look at a clock for 1 minute, a it's a long, long time. time. 13 and your, minutes. Yeah, and you're bleeding and your wife is bleeding To be out. on the phone with the dispatcher and just being like, I don't know. I don't know where we are. Oh, my God. I don't know. I can't see I'm the blind now. Oh, oh, no. I'm still driving around. I'm passing out, but I'm um, still looking and driving. 
if you're that dispatcher, wouldn't you just be like, what the fuck is happening? Like, look at a street sign. What are you driving around for? Yeah. Like, get out. I don't know. Get I just feel like the steering wheel, like, it's not that much farther for the, the light. It's not. It's not. If you're reaching the steering wheel, you, you can move your hand up for the lights. You can lean your... I don't know. I mean, I've never been shot in the gut before. So I'm, well, not I'm sure say, I've heard it's very painful. I've heard from, <laughs> from the stories. It doesn't seem pleasant, but um. Well, and thank heavens that his brother came forward because his brother had a conscience. Yeah. Like this guy is a class A asshole sociopath. He's just like classic sociopath, you know. Yep. It's like out of his control that his wife is now pregnant and wouldn't get an abortion. He's telling people he's gonna kill her, asking for help killing her, and then. He's already, like, scamming the people that he works for that trust him. He's scamming his wife, like... Uh, piece of shit. Classic narcissistic behavior. Classic narcissistic tossed salad. Tossed salad. Piece of shit. Yeah. Just awful. Disgusting. Tragic. How dare you tell me and such this a horrible thing. poor woman... This poor woman, like, she's thinking she has it all, you know? She, yeah. like, loves her family, talks to her family all the time. Like, she's going to have a baby This is, soon. like, I just feel like in these situations, like, how good was he at hiding it? And, like, what did what signs did she see that she just kind of was, like, well, you know, maybe he had a bad day or, like, I just, I don't, I don't know. know. He just seems, like, so awful. But you know how they are. The sociopaths can, like, put it on the charm and... Yeah, but I feel like she must have had some kind, like, there must have been some, something going on in their marriage. Maybe. I mean, you never know what people are like behind closed doors. I know. But he just seems... Yucky. So awful. Yeah. (laughs) So awful. Yeah, it just makes me think of, like, Chris Watts, just because that documentary recently. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like how you can put on a performance of like, we're a happy family, even though like you're having plans of murdering them. Yeah. Well, and like, and to be such a coward, like when you, when it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to get away with it, which like, obviously you're not. But when he's like, oh, I'm not going to get away with it, then I'll like kill myself. I wonder too, if, because you said that he bought jewelry like in the last few days or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if he made an attempt of like trying to get that girl yeah maybe and then she, she rejected him yeah, and then he's like well i can't be. get her and they're coming after me like fuck this i'm just gonna jump could be yeah they don't he won't deal with rejection well no he's not gonna be told he's wrong well and and that way too there's just like there's no closure for that family I there's mean, not someone who has to like i mean there is they know he's dead, he did but, like, it but he, he's not gonna like face them yeah yeah. In a court, you know, he's not going to have to either deny it or, like, admit it. He's not going to have to suffer in prison. I think the suicide is an admission. He so. just, like, well, but then he wrote, but then he, like, writes a note yeah, and doesn't course, even, like, just, take credit. I mean, no, I know, classic, but, like, yeah. God. So shitty. Great. Yeah. And what the fuck, Boston? Come on. <laughs> Get it together. I didn't know that. I just didn't know it. It's, I mean, there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of culture out there. Let's just say, uh, it's very, uh, one note. 
Well, there is culture, and they're number two in the racism <laughs> culture. So. Oh, the racism culture. There's the a lot race of that. to racism. They're second place. <laughs> they are winning the race to racism. I mean, that was like six years ago, but what changes, you know? Yeah. Well, actually, a lot. Who knows? Like, who knows? Other people could have been hiding it a little better because they're being really obvious about it. But wow. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, On the lighter note, uh, check out <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Humble Be Herbal. Check out their bath and body products. They're sustainable. They're eco-friendly. Their packaging is like glass and paper and recyclable things. And the products are really good and affordable and just amazing. So check them out. That's humblebeherbal.com. Use code CRIMINY20 for 20% off your first purchase. Okay, let me find my story. Okay. Oh, nope, that's not a story. That's the internet. Oh, boy. You're just going to read me, like, the internet? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to read you the internet. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I got my information from a Sundance film documentary oh. called No One Saw a Thing. Um, it's like... Well, I don't want to tell you because okay. I'll tell you later. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> save the surprises. And Wikipedia and Patch.com. I'm gonna tell you about Ken Rex McElroy. Okay. First of all, you shouldn't name people after a dog. And a doll. And a and a doll. <laughs> <laughs> you want them to be a normal person. <laughs> oh yeah, Rex is such a bold name for a yeah, human. It's a big choice. Yeah. I feel like you have to be, like, super rich. Oh. Is it just, like, Rex? That's it, right? Well, because Rex means king. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Rex. Your little <laughs> doggy. He was not the king. No. His sister pushed him around. She was the queen. She was the royal biatch. A royal biatch. Okay, Rex. Da, 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 da. Ken Rex. Ken Rex. Kenneth Rex? Well, I don't, maybe, but it, everywhere I saw it just said Ken. Could be just Ken it Rex. It might be just Ken. Okay. I mean, he was the 15th of 16 children, so at that point, it's <gasps> like, eh, we'll just give him a doll and a dog name. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. He was born in 1934. How are you going to birth that many children? Especially when you're two migrant tenant farming couple not two a migrant a poor migrant tenant farming couple okay this is why birth control matters and they probably like got pregnant every time yeah (laughs) (laughs) very fertile couple (laughs) so unlucky (laughs) shit uh yeah so the his parents were tony and mabel also i'm gonna say Let's get on that male birth control. Everyone. Yeah. Let's figure yeah. out some options for men. I mean, guys, just get it snipped. It's fine. It's quick. It's Outpatient quick. procedure. You can, you know, you just like, just real quick. Real quick. Barely painful. <laughs> and then you're like good to go and you don't have to worry you don't have to about worry it. You worry about it. You don't have to be like Charles and murder your pregnant wife. Yeah. Just snip it. That's it's what he should have done fine all right mabel and who <laughs> mabel and tony 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 should have got snipped tony should have got snipped but he didn't they didn't do well, that well did didn't they do, do that in the back 30s? Nope, they didn't do that i don't think so <laughs> they're also probably catholic i'm sure i don't know yeah oh, okay sorry um 
They moved between Kansas and the Ozarks before finally settling in Skidmore, Missouri. Gross. Yeah. Just like, don't name your town something that sounds like dirty underwear. Like caucus. Like caucus furs. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there was a caucus furs in Skidmore. <laughs> Come visit caucus furs located in lovely Skidmore, Skidmore Missouri. <laughs> Get more misery. <laughs> Just take the brown road yeah. right up to the shop. <laughs> Slide on down. Uh, uh, if you've gotten to the Yellow River, you've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Gross. So as you can imagine, with 16 kids, the kids aren't really being raised by their parents. They're kind of just... Raising each other. Raising each other. Yeah. Roaming Fuck, around that's feral. That's so many kids. That's so many kids. It's like, I don't even know that's that many That's a classroom. <laughs> that is a classroom full of children. <gasps> oh my god. Yucky. I mean, that should be like the classroom number, but. <laughs> Jesus. So, Ken dropped out of eighth grade at the age of 15. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, okay, here's the thing, though. If you're a migrant, then... You might be moving from school yeah, to school, and you might have gotten you're gonna miss, because of that. Well, yeah. also, you're going to miss some right. years or some... Cla- yeah. If you're yeah, helping yeah. out farming. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, so he got he dropped out, and okay. he got himself a nice reputation as a raccoon hunter. And also a cattle rustler, which means stealing cattle. Oh. And a small-time thief. Who would sometimes steal grain and also a womanizer. Great combo. Charming. Love it. Love it. Did he also sell his raccoon fur at Kaka's first? He might have. That's where <laughs> Kaka's actually gets most of their furs. It's just raccoon. Rustled cows R- and raccoons. <laughs> Rustled raccoons at Kaka's furs. <laughs> and Skidmore oh. on Brown Road. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So for two decades... He, Ken, basically terrorized the town. Ew. And uh, because he was very intimidating, uh, he was about like 270 pounds and six feet, maybe taller than six feet. He was like a big dude. That's a giant eighth grader. He's a giant eighth grader. No, now he's an adult. (laughs) With an eighth grade education. Right. And he always carried a gun, which isn't that uncommon in this area. Right. Because there were a lot of farmers and hunters, so like... People had gun racks on the back of their car. You right. Know, like, yeah, it was yeah. pretty common to have a gun. Skidmore. What are you going to... Skidmore. What you going to do? Skidmore, Kilmore. <laughs> oh. Uh. That'd be cute. Like, on the over... Like, oh. right when you're coming into town, like, mm-hmm. on, across the road. If you kill more, you skid more, because... Oh, that just sounds like you have diarrhea. Well, you're. Tr- I'm trying to get them not to be killing, so I think it works. But you've got to kill the raccoons for caucus first. <laughs> you just skin a little at a time. <laughs> Just shave a little, a little off. patchy, yeah. <laughs> a little patch here, a little patch there. Uh, humanely gathered fur. That's right. <laughs> Shear him like a sheep. Shear him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, he would carry a gun, and he was also not afraid to threaten people with the gun. Fun. Yeah. This guy's great. And he was able to avoid conviction when charges were brought against him twenty-one times. Is he still, like, 15? No, he's, like, an okay. adult now. Okay. Well, how was he able to avoid conviction? Well, he would often threaten anyone who testified against him to oh. withdraw their complaints. God. 
or to just not show up and test to testify in court. That's like not even fair. He would like sit outside their homes in his truck at all hours of the night <sighs> and just like shoot his gun in the air and just like intimidate them. That sucks. Yeah. So they'd be like, uh, we didn't see anything. Nothing happened. Oh, God. And then he would get off. And, you know, keep in mind, Skidmore is a very small town, like about 400 people. So everyone knows everyone. So because of that, he knows where everyone lives. Uh So he knows like, oh, this person is going to say something. I know where they live. I can just park outside their house Uh -uh. and just like they would look out the window and he'd just be glaring. And he's probably like the biggest guy in town. Yeah. He had like big sideburns and like just like this mean looking face. Yeah. He kind of actually looked a bit like meatloaf. Not the food, the singer. Yeah. 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 But like meaner looking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like the sideburns and like kind of bigger, bigger guy. Right. So at one point after all this happened, after all this goes down, Mm -hmm. um, this lawyer and author named Harry McLean, he lived in Skidmore to like interview people and do some research. Mm -hmm. And then he wrote a book called In Broad Daylight. Um, But anyway, he said that he's talking about Ken. He was very cunning. He knew which people to pick on, the weak people, and he followed through on his threats just enough, just often enough, Mm. to make people believe he was going to do what he said he was going to do. He had a legendary status, and it got only bigger, or it all got to be bigger than he was. Somebody would hear his name, and the legend grew bigger. When he got off on a trial, it grew even bigger. It went beyond just hammering people and being mean-spirited. Hammering people? (laughs) You know, punching them, I think. He neutralized the entire criminal justice system. God damn. And a farmer who lived in Skidmore, Kirby, Kirby Gosley, said, Kirby. Our law enforcement never went after him very hard. The son of a bitch would just as soon shoot them as anyone else. Well, yeah. So they were like, why not? He probably knows where they live, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like. If there was, or if there was ever a trial set, like, one of the ways he would intimidate people, like, he would also intimidate the jurors by, like, finding out where they lived and then putting rattlesnakes in their mailboxes and stuff. Why don't they, like, take him to a different town? (laughs) A big city. Ken, Ken himself had 15 children, maybe more. Oh, God. With many different women. Some were his wives. But uh, this disgusting piece of shit liked young women. No. Not just young women, but girls. Yeah. He preferred girls between 12 and 14. No. Mm-hmm. While he was married to his third wife, Alice, he raped a 12-year-old girl named oh. Trina McLeod repeatedly. In order for him to escape charges of raping a child, he, he told her. He told Trina's parents he wanted uh-huh. to marry her. Uh-uh. When they rightfully refused, uh-huh. he shot their dog and burned their <gasps> house down. <sighs> I want a piece of shit. After Good thing that, that her parents were like, fuck no. Well, but after that, her parents were like, fine. No. <laughs> so, uh. so he moved Trina oh. in with him and his current wife, Alice, oh, God. who he had to divorce in order to marry Trina. Trina became pregnant at 14. Oh, honey. And dropped out of the ninth grade, so she must have been a little bit oh, you know, more educated. She, like she actually, made it to ninth. Yeah, at like an appropriate yeah. age. Obviously, 
uh, the abuse was terrible. Yeah. And at one point after giving birth, Trina and Alice decided to try to escape. They fled to Trina's mother and stepfather's house, but nothing gets past Ken. He was easy. He was easily able to track them down. And one day when no one was home, he once again shot Trina's family's dog and burned down their house. What the fuck? After this happened in June of 73, Ken was indicted for arson, assault, and statutory rape. 1973, he's doing this shit? Uh God damn it. He was arrested, booked, arraigned, and released on a $2,500 bail. No, no. People like that don't get bail. Oh, he gets bail. How is he going to get bail? He sucks and they all know it. (laughs) (laughs) He got bail. No. Meanwhile, Trina and her baby were both placed in foster care. Oh my God, because she's a child. Oh God. In Maryville, Missouri, oh my God. Ken, while out on bail, was able to find where she was no. placed and drove over there and sat in his truck staring at the house no. for hours. He then like encountered the foster parents and told them that he would trade girl for girl since he knew where their bio daughter went to school and her bus route. So he was planning Excuse on abducting her me? and being like, I'll trade you your biological daughter for... Your then you call children. police and get her in like protective custody or something. Well, additional charges were filed against Ken Good. for those threats. Good. Meanwhile, he's still out. No. And terrorizing the town. How does he get out? <laughs> How does he get bail? Bail's not for him. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think the town's just terrified of him. I don't know. That's when you don't give him bail. <laughs> I don't know. I, it doesn't make sense. Well, it kind of does because it's a small town, so you know how small towns work. They have their own systems. They don't really follow the rules. Uh, uh-uh. In July of 76, a farmer named Romaine Henry was... Ah, a I farmer know. named Romaine! <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Mm-hmm. Farmer Romaine Henry was minding his business on his own property when he noticed Ken on his property oh, shooting God. off his gun. Jesus. Henry asked Ken to stop shooting his gun on his property, and to that request, Ken shot Henry twice with his shotgun. Oh, no. Henry survived miraculously, God. and Ken was charged with assault and intent to, with an assault with intent to kill. Yes. Ken denied he was responsible, saying he wasn't anywhere near Romaine Henry's farm that day. The case dragged on without a court date, and during that time, Henry says Ken would sit in his truck outside his farm at least 100 times shooting off his gun and being intimidating. How are they not going to give him a court date and then bring him again to to, like, arrest him again? Well, at trial, he finally got a court date. Okay. At trial... Two raccoon hunters testified that Ken was with them the whole day and that he couldn't have been, it couldn't have been Ken who shot Henry. How is that? So Ken was acquitted of the charge and was allowed to just walk out a free man. Can't, I mean, it's like, I know what he looks like. We all know what he looks like. I saw him. Nope. The guy was a false, false accusation. Couldn't have been him. Must have been someone else. I hate this. <laughs> So, naturally, Ken continued terrorizing the town. Yeah, obviously. Lock him up. By this time, everyone knew him as the town bully, obviously. 
1980, one of Ken's daughters, who was four at the time, went to a local grocery store and stole a piece of candy. And the clerk, Evelyn Sumi, went up Sumi. went up to the, went up to the little girl and I don't know what she said. Later she claims that she didn't accuse her of anything, but like the little girl went home and told her mom and dad that she was accused of stealing at this grocery store and so so Ken and Trina were like, "Oh no, you didn't." And they went to the store. And they start. They found the clerk, and they cornered her and started yelling at her. And yeah, let's not use this as a teaching moment no. for our child. They were about like, "How, how you dare don't you? Steal. How dare you accuse our child ah. of stealing?" And Trina was like throwing f bombs everywhere. And they wait, were, Trina. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the no. child bride. Yep. Oh. Well, I mean, if you're raised by your abuser, uh huh. Uh-huh. At that. Ken began stalking the... So the store was owned by the Bowen Camp family, um, who were 70-year-old Ernest oh, Bo God. Bowen Camp. He went by Bo. Yeah. And his wife, Lois. Oh, God. And he... Uh, Ken began stalking them and would, like, follow them home. What are they going to do? They're, like, older uh-huh. adults. Like, what are they going to do? Uh, it's not about what they're going to do. He's just going to intimidate anyone that he thinks slight in him. <sighs> He and Trina would sit in their truck outside their house, outside of the Bowen Camp house, firing shots of shots, <laughs> firing gunshots into a tree. And Evelyn, who was the clerk, lived across the street, and they would like make sure she could mm. see them do it too. So, you know, double threat. Mm-hmm. One day, Ken cornered Bo in the back of his store with a shotgun. Oh my God! And. Ken accused him of, you know, whatever, and then just shot Bo in the neck. Oh, my God. And either Ken is a terrible, terrible shot, or the people in this town are just extra resilient because Bo survived. Being shot in, in the, the neck? neck? Yeah. Ken was arrested and charged with attempted murder. At trial, Ken was convi- convicted of assault, but freed on bail pending his appeal. How? How are you going to get bail? This fucker who stole cows, burned down houses, shot dogs, almost killed at least two people. He was convicted a of a violent crime. Fucking walked out Regardless, of the he is convicted of a violent crime. Yeah. And he gets bail. Immediately after being released, he went and got a rifle with a bayonet attached uh-huh. and went to the D&G Tavern. God bless America where you can America. buy a gun. So he was like, got to get my gun, my bayonet, and go get some drinks down at the tavern. That's a great idea. Guns and alcohol go <laughs> so well great. together. So there he had a few drinks, and he was seen making graphic threats about what he was going to do to Bo Bowen Camp. Lovely. He already shot him. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ken was known to pay local kids for information about who was where in town oh, at what God. time. So the Bowen camps developed their own network of informants. They delivered messages in code. For example, one of the owners of the D&G Tavern would send her young children to the grocery store for paper towels, keeping the children innocently unaware while or they, unaware they were telegraphing an urgent message for the Bowen camps to call the police. Um, and Bo's daughter said... When you didn't know where he was, you didn't dare take the chance of not being on your guard. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
In the summer of 81, a jury handed Ken his first ever felony conviction for the lesser charge of second degree assault. Not only that, they recommended he spend no more than two years in prison. This is okay. I just don't understand. You have like an open and shut case to get this guy out of your town for a long period of time. Why are you not going to take it? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things about apparently Skidmore. There's just like a, a huge history of like not good and like just fucked up stuff happening. Mm hmm. Taking the law into your own hands, not not getting actual sentencing that makes sense. Just corruption and small town mentality. Um, so Ken escaped jail on an appeal oh, bond. Good. And, wow. could, yeah. and could remain free until he exhausted his appeals. Free to taunt his victims with what had been painfully clear. He would never go to jail. On the morning of July 10th, 1981... Townspeople met at the Legion Hall in the center of town. To wait, have... wait, wait. So he gets convicted, sent to jail for like less than two years. But then he's like, oh, I'm appealing. So I just get to get out. Yeah. For some, I don't know what it is, but they were like, oh, How you can be out you... on, as long as you have appeals, oh, you can be out. God. <laughs> what the fuck? So the whole town, ta- well, like a bunch of the townspeople are at the Legion Hall um, having a meeting with Nottaway County Sheriff Dan Estes. About what to do with Ken. Uh, put him in prison. Many people said they were scared for their lives. Yes. And that, you know, he was a loose cannon and they they could all be the next one shot. Yeah. Sheriff Estes suggested that they form a neighborhood watch, which... To watch him to intimidate me, everyone? Like, yeah, it sounds like... What is that going like to do? It sounds like either him just being like, well, we're not going to do anything about it, so you guys watch him. I don't know. Go ahead and watch him Go shoot everyone and him. beat everyone. I don't know. Or, like, that he was just saying, go ahead and take it into your own hands. I don't know. Maybe. But, which apparently this town is kind of used to, and this is a whole other case that we could get into at some point, but the gist of this other case that happened was, in 1931, in Skidmore, a man named Raymond Gunn, who happened to be black, was accused of killing Velma Coulter, a white woman. Uh, who was a school teacher inside her one-room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. Although Raymond actually did admit to killing this woman, mm-hmm. and the evidence did point to him. Okay. Um, he was not giving a f- given a fair trial or a trial at all. A lo- uh. a, the, a large crowd had formed between the courthouse and the jail. So after his sentence was like heard, mm-hmm. um, the sheriff was transporting Raymond to the jail when the leader, the seemingly leader of the big mob outside said to the sheriff, either you move out of the way or die with this man. Either way, he's going to die today. Oh, Missouri. The, <laughs> the crowd pulled the sheriff aside and they marched Raymond to the schoolhouse all the while beating him. Oh. The mob emptied the schoolhouse completely and put all the, the furniture on the lawn. Then they brought him up to the roof and tied him to a pole. Apparently there's a pole on the roof. I don't know. Lightning pole. I don't know. Um, flag pole. Flag pole. I don't know. They tied him to a pole. I don't know. They doused him in gasoline. Oh, good. They doused the ha- schoolhouse in gasoline. And then the mob leader threw a lit paper onto Let's the school. Let's burn down the whole schoolhouse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it caught fire, and obviously Raymond burned alive. Oh, God, that's awful. Witnesses said he screamed for about 10 minutes before dying. It's awful. A reporter for the St. Joseph Gazette gave the following gruesome description. He twisted and revealed a huge blister ballooning on his Mm -mm. upper arm. Mm -mm. Pieces of his Mm -mm. skin blew away Mm -mm. to the wind as the blistering heat became more intense. That's got to be like the worst way to go. And soon his torso was splotched Mm. with white patches of exposed flesh. His hair burned like a torch for a moment. Then his head sagged. His body writhed. It It took the appearance of a mummy. Oh, God. It's fucking sick. Oh, God. So the town is kind of used to policing themselves. Well, they could have done that, right? So during the time the townspeople are having their meeting with the sheriff, Ken and Trina were down at the D&G Tavern having some drinks, as you do in a tavern. Uh Uh-huh. And citizens at the meeting house learned that Ken was at the tavern. And so I've read this both ways one way says that the sheriff was like i'm going out of town wink mm-hmm. and another Take one says like kind of a thing right uh-huh. and then the other source said that he might not have actually left town but he right. later on said that he was gone right 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 so either way the townspeople made their way down to the tavern and they began filing into the tavern ken finished his drink and bought a six-pack to take home with him as he and Trina left the bar, the town followed. Ken and Trina got into his truck, and at this time there were like 60 people kind of out behind uh-huh. his truck. When out of nowhere a shot rang out, then another. Ken was shot once in once with a center fire rifle and once with a 22 rimfire rifle. But I also watched this in the documentary, it said that he was actually shot four times. Twice in the back, once in the neck, and once in the head. Wow. A couple of men hustled Trina to a nearby bank to get her away from the gunfire. And then nobody called for an ambulance. Everyone just went home. Yeah. When Sheriff Estes and some state troopers arrived, the street was empty except for Ken, who was clearly dead. He also had his foot on the gas pedal, so the engine was just running and smoke was coming out of the uh, the engine. And there were 60 witnesses and Trina, but only Trina named the shooter. Everyone else in the town said they didn't know who fired the shots. Well, the shooter was just out raccoon hunting. Raccoon so hunting. They, were, they weren't even here. They weren't there. <laughs> the, DA declined to pre- the DA declined to press charges, and a federal investigation did not lead to any, ch- to any charges. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> The FBI dug and dug, but everyone in town except Trina no stayed quiet. When he died, the 435 townspeople felt relief, especially the Bowen Camp family. It is not yeah. the kind of justice they should have gotten, 60-year-old Joyce Monte, the Bowen Camp's daughter, said in a telephone interview. We stood up and did the right thing. We went to the police. We went to the courts. We went everywhere we could, but justice would stay would stay delicately out of the way, she said. Looking back, the justice system had as much to do with killing Ken Elroy, Ken McElroy, McElroy, Ken McElroy as anyone in Skidmore did. 
On July 9th, 1984, Trina filed a fifty or a $5 million wrongful death lawsuit against oh, the town wow. of Skidmore, County of Nottoway Sheriff Danny Estes, Stever, Stephen Peters, who was the mayor of Skidmore, Stever. and and Del Clement, who Trina claimed was the shooter. The case was settled out of court and Trina got $17,600, wow. but nobody admitted guilt. In the documentary, they interviewed people in Skidmore, including Trina, and it seemed that a lot of the townspeople had been traumatized by the Raymond Gunn case of vigilanteism, uh-huh. even though it was like their uh, parents that were experiencing it. Still. Kind of, yeah, you know, like kind yeah, of gets passed generational down. trauma. Right. Yeah. And that a lot of them felt the same way about what happened to Ken. Was he a bad guy? Yes. But did he deserve to be murdered? It's a tough call. Well. I think I think when I first read this case, I was like, fuck yeah, that guy deserved to die. You know, like, mm-hmm. the, town, the town is awesome. But then it worries me about people that are falsely accused. Well, here's the thing about it. If he, it, it is like the justice system's fault because if he had been held accountable for all the shit that he had been doing, right. he wouldn't they have been gone. able to traumatize that town. They had brought him to court many times. And yeah. he was terrorizing, like, people for mm-hmm. long ter- like a long period of time. Like, you can't terrorize people for that long and not expect them to retaliate at some point. Right. Because they're in fight or flight mode for an extended period of time. That's going to break you. The whole town. Yeah. Then it's like war, guy. you know? It's like all out yeah. kill or be killed. Yeah. So, yeah, for, like, wrongful convictions and stuff, but this guy, like, if... That's why the justice system needs to be held accountable for shit like this. You can't just let him off on bail when he's been convicted. Exactly. Well, that's what the um, the documentary, No One Saw a Thing, it's like a series in each episode. I, I only saw the episode on this one, but I believe, like, each episode deals on a different case of vigilanteism and, why, like, how it could mm-hmm. go bad and, like, why it's not the best idea. Well, no, it's definitely not the best idea. That's why there is, like, a but under- justice system. Ooh, a but criminal- I understand the breaking point. Yeah, I mean, that's why we have the criminal justice system, so that it, it doesn't get to this, but then... But if they're not going to do anything But then look at our it. criminal justice system when it's not, like, vigilante. It's, like, police vigilante justice. Yeah. Like, in my story, it's, like, the police just went off the, right. the, lose the deep end and starts accusing, like, everyone. Right. It's, like, it works both ways. It's, like, we that's need true. to have a better system for this stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, Trina, who ended up remarrying and actually uh, sadly died of cancer in 2012. Mm. Like, you know, even though she was a victim of Ken, and I I know it has to be partly because she's a victim of Ken. She was raised by him. Because she was basically raised by him. Yeah. All the interviews, she talks about him as like this loving husband and how the town just like they had him all wrong and that they didn't know him like she did. And he, you know, was this great guy that like took care of her. And it's like, kind of like that. It's like Stockholm syndrome, though, because right. when she was like, I but mean, then she's like 12. Being he raised, raised her. her yeah. And then and then like and then marries her, parents her, give her away after you're traumatized and your house is burnt down, and your dog yeah. is killed. Then you try and run away. Right. It's like there's no escaping this person. So you, you know, there's well no escaping. So then it's like, OK, well, he's going to be like, he, like, this is it. It's yeah. kind of like this is the best case. And this is the only case scenario. So I better make the best out of it. And 
who knows, like maybe in their older age or whatever, he wasn't as violent towards her. Who knows? Or like, like said, what maybe happened? she like normalized it. But yeah, it was... she for sure. That was that was that was it. She had no way out. She tried her options and they didn't work. Like there's no way out. Yeah. And, she was and, like, brainwashed. Yeah, I think definitely she was she was manipulated a child from like a abused. young age from a child that's on. why it's like so hard to watch her in the interviews because like you can tell she's being genuine like she doesn't understand like what went wrong that the town just had him all wrong and he's like this great guy who was like ra- they're raising their kids together but also it's like he had 15 kids like he wasn't yeah. he definitely wasn't raising all those kids with all yeah. those women well and it doesn't sound like he had like a job I think it was just extorting people and so, stealing yeah, shit. So, yeah, how's he going to, like, support 16 children? I don't know. And be a good dad and, yeah. Yeah. And so after he was killed, all the McElroys left town because the town was just like, we're done with anyone with that last name. You, you're all excused. Get the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. And some of the family members, including a couple of his now adult children said that they all believe the sheriff was behind the shooting and that he okayed it and that's why nobody was ever charged with the murder well it sounds like yeah and the whole town was okay with it yeah it seems like they all were kind of like well no one else is doing anything about this situation she's gotten away with so much shit for so many years there's got to be a way out yeah yeah vigilante justice at the same time like sometimes it works and is necessary <laughs> that's why i was like felt so conflicted because normally i'm like eh, it's usually a really bad idea but like yeah. in this case it was like he was obviously harming multiple people that like all knew it was him it was never held accountable it was never ever. even even though they tried to do it the right way multiple times well it's like the whole like mob rule thing like mobs are dumb people you know, it's really easy when you're all like hyped up to like well, yeah, be you get each other something. going, yeah. yeah. And then you just like, you know, but in this case, it doesn't seem like. I mean, yeah, they had their town meeting, and maybe they got a little hyped up at the town meeting. But it's like, how are you going to convict a guy and then let him out? Yeah, what's it? I mean, you should watch the the episode that they did. It on. It's interesting because like a lot of the townsfolk, they're like, they talk about it like. uh the whole you know they're basically like you know the whole town is basically corrupt like we know like that the sheriff had something to do with it like the sheriff and his brother who was a police officer or something like Mm -hmm. they were like good old boys or whatever and would often kind of like turn a blind eye to stuff like that but they they like got her out of the way like they didn't want her to get hurt yeah so i feel like maybe some part of her like yeah maybe she she felt like she was ostracized too well she did because she said when that she was scared when they pulled her out of the car and put, brought her in a bank. She thought that they were going to kill her too. Right. She thought they were just coming out of nowhere shooting for no reason because her husband is this like charming, great guy. Well, I think, I think that's like part of her, like the way that she looks at the situation now is just like that. She was basically like ostracized and kicked out of this town. And if they didn't want her and they didn't want her husband, it must've been like, not that, not that her husband like fucked it all up for them. Mm-hmm. She must've like, I bet she she has something going on. Like, she's disassociating parts of her life where she's not, like, attached to them. And, like, yeah, that's not part of her story. You know, no, she's only holding on to, like, the parts that she can handle. Right. So it's, like, the good. She's keeping on the good and being, like, I don't understand. Like, because she must have blocked the rest out. Like, that. 
you have to just to, to survive, survive. Yeah. yeah to get through it so they seem like a very terrifying daunting monster of a man who was just like i mean everyone in town knew him as like oh the child rapist yeah. and like the fucking person who will burn your house down and shoot your dog and not think well, twice and she's about it going, and she's going out there and sitting with him in the car and like shooting off mm-hmm. guns like on some level, she knows that he's a bad dude. You know, he's hurt her. He's like, intim- she's like going with him to intimidate people. But on the other side, she thinks like, oh, he's protecting me. Well, and he's my the family. only one. Like, he's the only one that she gets anything from. Like, uh-huh. he's the only one that doles out like the pain. But he's also the only one that like gives her any anything helpful or useful. You know, like he determines. Right. So, she, I mean, her whole life was based off of him, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Admit that your whole life was run by this, like, crazy, scary, like, horrible That's dude? Hard to do, yeah. Who's, like, the father of your child? Or are you going to, like, turn it around and be like, well, my life wasn't, like, all that bad. There, We had some good times. And yeah, I don't know. That sucks. That really sucks. The human brain is a crazy thing. It's just there to protect you. Yep. And then sometimes there's just, you can't. Uh it doesn't the brain is like super smart and super dumb yeah it like does what it can to protect you but sometimes it's like not the right thing to do yeah but it's the necessary thing in the moment at least you think it is but yeah yeah. Uh, that was horrible thanks that was like a horrible story (laughs) but like it's kind of satisfying in the end a little bit just why didn't i just ugh why didn't they arrest him? I mean, I understand, like, the jury intimidation and stuff, but then, like, send him elsewhere, you know? Send him somewhere where he could get a trial where he's not intimidating people. Send him out of a town. Yeah. He... And attempted murder. Like, leave it at attempted murder. You have a chance to lock him up. You have a chance to get him away from everyone. Why don't you take it? Uh, I think it was the prosecuting attorney that felt like there wasn't enough evidence they weren't going to be able to convict him on like that charge because of the evidence and people no one was talking um so that he felt like he'd get him on a lesser charge and convict him of something for the guy that he shot in the neck yeah yeah wow what a fucker the tossed salad and the scrambled egg a tossed salad a scrambled egg uh, definitely tossed salad, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. He thought he Just ran this town. Just a piece of town. shit. Skidmore. Mm-mm. Skid less. Get out of there. I'd like to do more research on Skidmore because it seems like there's a lot of fucked up cases from there. And the town, I forgot who they were interviewing, but someone in the town was like, basically like, You know, there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens here, like, per capita, even though we only have, like, 400 people in this town. Like, it's a lot that happens here, like, compared, I mean, you know, obviously, What is going on in Missouri? I don't know. Ugh. Missouri. Get it together, Boston and Missouri. Get it together, guys. (laughs) Come on now. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, he just seems like a narcissistic, abusive asshole. Yep. Where do these people come from? Like, how do they exist? Piece of shit. How do they exist? 
I don't know, but they do. And it's not like it's that uncommon to have narcissists that are like no. abusive. And that just like, fuck everyone's shit up. Yeah. Keep it to yourselves. Hands to yourselves. I mean, I know there are people out there who are sociopaths who aren't like. They're just CEOs Murdering people. Stuff. Well, they're. It's not like they're doing good. <laughs> I'm no, just saying, I'm just saying. Like I'm, they're they're are... using their evil to like make money and maybe a little raping of the children, but uh... yeah, and the earth and like it could go okay, on and on. Okay, okay. The, the CEOs I'm are just... not the ones. I'm just saying there are there are sociopaths out there and there are narcissists out there who are aware of their like mental health issue, mental illness and they're like m- taking steps to not like harm other people as much as they can. And then there are the people who are out there just fucking everyone up because they can and they think it's all a game and yeah. they want to win the game. Yeah. And the rest of us are left being like what the hell is going on? Can we like stop? Yeah, let's I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> yeah. How? How do they exist? How? How and why and what the fuck? Well, that's disgusting. Yeah. Both stories really sucked this week. (laughs) Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Let's start 2021 off on the sad foot. (laughs) On the sad foot. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Well, let's lighten up the... Skid more road load. Skid more. load. Gross. Also, if anyone knows how to pronounce cacas, 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 cacas. Anyway, cacas. Cacas furs. If it's still around, you know how to pronounce it. Let us know. Mister Cacas. Cacas. Let us know. And now for the portion that we like to call Criminy Sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Did I do this one? Read it, let's see. Okay. It's from Newser. The subject the suspect is described as a white male with a machete, though he may have cheese, sauce, <laughs> and maybe some pepperoni in his hair. I don't know. Police in Delaware say the owner of a pizza shop foiled a robbery by throwing a pizza at the intruder. Can I read this? I don't know. I I don't know anymore. It's still good. Keep going. It's still good. The incident happened in Greenwood late Friday when a man with a machete entered Stargate Pizza at closing time and demanded the money. Uh, the, the store owner advised the suspect that he did not have any money and threw a pizza at him, <laughs> causing the suspect to flee. According to the police statement, you think it's like a cooked pizza or raw pizza? I don't know. I'm imagining him like doing the dough the thing, dough, you yeah, know, kind of spinning yeah. it at him. <laughs> <laughs> Alas, that has no more details on the pizza itself or if, say, it was in a box at the time. The would-be robber ran out and fled in a car. The police are now looking for tips. That could be super dangerous because you know how every time you eat pizza, every time I eat pizza, the first bite is always mouth burn, right? You burn your mouth so bad, then you, like, keep going because it's already burnt, so you might as well keep burning it. So if he, like, had it right out of the oven, do you not burn your mouth every time you eat pizza? I don't at all. You never burn your mouth when you eat pizza? No. 
I blow on it. <laughs> I'm just like so excited and hungry that I just like take a bite and it's always like that cheese is molten. Mm, sounds like a you problem. Only with Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets for sure. Yeah. Well, don't those look are at little me like hot that. bombs. <laughs> anyway, I feel like that would be super dangerous if you got like a fresh pizza and like, you know, throw it at someone. I'm just thinking like molten cheese and greasy oh, pepperoni. Yeah, you get like third degree burns. Yeah. I mean, I think I get burns in my like second degree burns in my mouth every time. And then the next day, it's like all, no? I mean, I know what you're talking about. I have burnt my mouth, but not every time I eat pizza. I do it pretty much every time I eat pizza. I always think it's going to be like fine this time. And then I'll like blow on it or whatever. And then it's still fucking hot. It's still really hot. Uh, Sorry, no. Yeah. Mm -mm. I think the last time I ate pizza, I burnt my mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. It's like the ritual. <laughs> no, because then the rest of your pizza experience sucks. Um, this one's from the Taipei Times. Starbucks was the scene of some more serious drama. Police oh, arre- Starbucks always the scene of drama. Police arrested a man who loudly proclaimed himself the saint and told huh? patrons sipping their lattes that a turtle <laughs> army would destroy them. <laughs> he then marched into a police department in the town of Indy Atlantic near Melbourne, Melbourne and yelled at an employee. He was charged with disturbing the peace. I would love to see a turtle <laughs> army. Yes. Take back the earth turtles. You're turtle ancient army. and you deserve it. Turtle power. Or it's the tortoises that are ancient. I think, tur- pa- think pa- turtle patotter. <laughs> turtle patotter. Turtle Patortis. From Cape Town, South Africa. Oh. Kataza already had a lengthy rap sheet with Cape Town authorities, so when he organized a band of others to raid a series of suburban homes, he was captured. Ooh. Now he sleeps at a local prison, although there is a social media campaign for him to re- be returned to his old stomping grounds. Kataza is a baboon. One of a few hundred urban baboons who live around Cape Town and are often found and are often a nuisance when they invade properties looking for food. Urban baboons? (laughs) They knock over trash cans, steal fruit and vegetables from gardens, and generally cause trouble. (laughs) Kataza's story is the latest in Cape Town's ongoing dilemma over how to deal with the baboons who live in the craggy mountains that surround the city, but often jump at the chance to roam through residential areas and scavenge for anything edible. How are you going to jail a baboon? <laughs> there are around 15 troops in the center, in the great, in the greater Cape Town area. Wow. And something in the region of 500 baboons. Wow. Uh, according to experts, the city even has a baboon technical team. <laughs> Oh my god. Wildlife rangers chase baboons away from some neighborhoods by shooting paintball guns at they them. They have like a baboon task force. <laughs> Do they employ baboons to help them catch other baboons? In uniforms. <laughs> With a little butt cut out. Oh, cute. And knuckles. Knuckles and butts. Knuckles cut and out. butts. Free the butt and the knuckle. <laughs> The most persistent, troublesome primates are sometimes euthanized. Kataza operated in They're the just se- doing their thing. <laughs> in the seaside village of Komeche in Cape Town's southern peninsula. After he was captured, rangers located him, relocated him to a nearby area of Tokai, hoping that he would integrate with another better-behaved troop and stop his mischief. 
of what rural baboons? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get him out of the gang life of urban baboonship. <laughs> Activists, however, want him to be taken home and yeah. reunited with his own troop. Yeah. Hashtag bring back Kataza reads reads a sign posted by a road in Komache. There's a Facebook page calling Aww. for his safe return. Kataza was unfairly singled out, said Jenny <laughs> Trithawan, who runs Baboon Matters, a, con- a conservation organization in Cape Town that seeks ways for humans and baboons to peacefully coexist. Nice. She wants him back in Komache. She's doing the good work. He is no worse than any of the other baboons. He's just an urban baboon. Yeah. <laughs> Trithawan's tre- Trethewin said. Life is hard for him. Trethewin has spent many days observing Kataza since he was relocated late last month. He hasn't integrated to the Takai troop, she said, is isolated and appears to be depressed. He now spends his days wandering through the streets of Takai and his nights sleeping in the yard of a local prison. Oh, God. He lowers himself over the prison wall or just ambles through the gate, she said. He's like putting himself in jail. Authorities keep what they call rap sheets that list a baboon's misdemeanors. What? (laughs) And Kataza's was apparently extensive. They had watched him since April when he raided five occupied houses. The final final straw came when he led his troop on 15 raids through Kometche in July and August. He generally solicited other individuals to join him in raiding town. <laughs> Kataza's rap sheet says, according to a South African newspaper that viewed the document. He's a baboon. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Trethewin said the city is just blaming baboons for being baboons. Yeah. Instead, Cape Town should make measures to ease the problem. Yes. Ba- baboon-proof trash cans would help, she said. Baboons are criminalized for things that baboons do normally. Trying with Trethowin, why can I not say that? Trethowin said, they are just opportunistic foragers. That's like if people had rap sheets for like deer and bears around here. It's like raccoons. They're just doing their thing. They're just trying to survive. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like how you go, you know, you go out in the in the mountains and there's signs everywhere that's like don't leave food in your cars because the bears will fucking break yeah. in and steal your shit and break your windows or they have the bear proof trash cans that don't really work because bears are too smart <laughs> and humans can't get it <laughs> whatever that thing said there's like that small there's like that small line between like smart bears and dumb humans <laughs> and you have to like walk that line when you're trying to make trash cans at national parks <laughs> right because they'll figure it out yeah Got a baboon proof him. And baboons got opposable thumbs. That's right. Even harder. Yeah. That's why you got to work with the baboons. To work get your with. task force of baboons and ask them, <laughs> how can we make this so that we can all get along, live our lives? You know, in this baboon infested town. Yeah. The urban, urban baboons. baboons. <laughs> Poor things. It's like you put your town on there, like where they live. Yeah. <laughs> That's their home. <laughs> urban baboons (laughs) well i hope that he gets reunited with his troop because that's just not okay that he's putting himself in prison because he's so lonely and depressed that's so sad free the baboons the answer is not to like kill them it's their home too that's right way to go that woman who's running that thing thing. (laughs) good for her you go girl yeah Save the baboons. Save the baboons.
urban baboon. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in to another week. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Check out our sponsor, Humblebee Herbal. Get your urban baboon wash. Wash your urban baboon <laughs> with some nice natural soaps that don't offend the environment. They won't hurt baboons or anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're gentle enough for a baboon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. check them out. Use code CRIMINY20 at checkout. Um, Humblebeeherbal.com. And we'll talk to you next time. We will speak at you and gay goodbye. Okay, bye. Bye bye. Cacas. 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 Cacus. Cacus. Mm-mm. Skid less. Get out of there. Knuckles. Knuckles and butts. Knuckles and butts. <laughs>